Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea and your favorite cardigan and we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys, welcome to Selfie. Well, today we're going to be answering a a listener question about what do I do if I feel like my husband is not willing to share the mental load? This is a... um, Very relevant question because I have people asking me this in my private practice all the time. We're going to talk about a new um, Psychology Today article about why feeling butterflies isn't a good predictor of love. First, we're going to do a self-care check-in. Hey, Matthias. Hey, Kristen. Well, how is your self-care slash mental health going? Doing all right. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but my dog has been having a few like minor health issues. Yeah. But yeah. it's like they're nothing serious. <laughs> uh, but they are enough that we've had to go to the vet a few times. And mm-hmm. that just really has not been fun. Like it's no. just fun, not fun to see her in pain. And Aww. even though knowing like it's not serious, like she's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, it's it's not fun. I have to like rub cream on her asshole like oh. <laughs> twice a day. It's like it's that's just... really horrible. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> gross. <laughs> that's love, man. What I hear you saying is you really love your dog. I do. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah, I'm poor. You're crop. a you're a very devoted owner. What else am I going to do? But like, <laughs> I mean, has there been anything that has made you kind of go like, is her, is her life threatened or is it all just been more like physical ailment type stuff? It's all been physical yeah. ailment stuff. Like I, yeah. I figured out pretty quickly what we were dealing with and yeah. the vet confirmed. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty common issue. I mean, if left untreated, it would have been life threatening. Yeah. But with antibiotics and... That's good. Creams. The creams. The creams. Yeah. Mm. So, and she's like, she's a little trooper. She's in good spirits and good. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. So, good. yeah. That's, that's kind of been the reality of just life lately is. Yeah. Vet appointments. Uh, vet appointments. Yeah. yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah. Expensive. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. So, how about you? It's pretty good. I think that I'm having a little bit of an existential crisis. Mm. My oldest is, you know, graduating um, from his junior year, not graduating, promoting from junior to senior this year. So this is our last summer Mm. with all four kids, assuming, you know, I don't know what happens to to him next summer, but this is kind of, this is the last like captive audience summer I have with my entire family intact. Yeah. And... I'm just having a lot of feelings about it. Mm -hmm. A lot of feelings about it. I think it's a weird, like parenting is such a weird journey because like you can't, you can't repeat it. Like you only get one shot. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm finding myself just having a lot of like, oh, I I never did this or we never did that. Or like, what, how is this? Like in a weird way, I feel panicky. Like, how is this coming to an end? 
Mm-hmm. Like, how is how are we here? You know, totally. Yeah. And the stuff that I'm like, we never did this is just such absurd stuff. Like we haven't traveled to all the places we haven't, you know, we didn't sit around and play guitar together enough or, you know, like, right, right. We weren't Little House on the Prairie enough. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, it's a really, it's a really weird feeling for me. I think that I am going to be the mom who does not do super great with launching. You know, like it's, it's going to be hard for me. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, again, obviously I don't have context on this, but I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And there's just a lot of, I mean, I think in general, I think it would be hard for me just because of my personality. But mm. then there's other factors of like, first of all, I got a divorce and that did make me closer to my kids. Yeah. I mean, it, it changed the dynamic, you know, all of a sudden it was like, it was us, like, we've got to run this household together. Like we all have to figure out how to take care of each other because mm-hmm. I can't be me with four, you know? And so it's like everyone stepped up, but we got closer Then the pandemic. We just spent like a year and a half, like hold up just together. So all of that, I feel like they're like my people, you know? Right. right. Um, and it obviously it is a little bit different when you launch kids as a divorced person, because, you know, I think when you're married to the parent of your kids, it's kind of like, we're going to get over this hump and then it's finally our time. But it's like, I don't feel that way with their father. Yeah. (laughs) There's not that shared experience, but yeah, so it's our last summer. I am planning a big Europe trip for us. So Mm. that's exciting. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like our last big hurrah because that's another thing too. It's like you know, they'll be adults. And like, I don't know that I'll pay for all of their vacations when they're adults either. You know, that's a part of it too. Like this is, you know, enjoy it because you're going to be an adult soon. But anyway, yeah, just big feels all around Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you have for a two thumbs up? Yeah. You know, I've already talked about this, but I'm going to talk about it again because of how much I love it. <laughs> My Ninja Foodie. You're going to make I, me buy this, aren't you? I think Damn I it. am. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, it is, I don't know that I've had this much delight out of a kitchen appliance ever. Oh my gosh. Like I pull so it funny. out and I just feel like warm feelings yeah. of love towards it. Like uh-huh. I'm like, you make my life so much easier you complete me is what i hear you saying (laughs) like i use it all the time it's basically on the way of having a permanent spot on my countertop because of how often i use it and just how easy it makes like i made steaks in it the other night Ooh. and i don't know if you've ever tried to make steaks in an apartment where like your fire alarm keeps going off and everyone's (laughs) like are you burning the place down and Uh you're trying to heat up cast iron and like i have done that a couple times and then kind of vowed like until i get a grill outside (laughs) have a space where i can have a grill steaks are off the table made it in the ninja foodie perfect I mean, it was so good. No smoke, like a crunchy, perfect medium rare. Like I, I just, I love it. Okay, so it is a pressure cooker slash air fryer. Yes. Yes, it's both. Yeah, and then it also like it has a broiler function. It has a saute function. Like apparently it has like eleven functions. Yeah. It's a dehydrator. I don't know what all eleven of them are, but it's it's like if I had to live in a world where I couldn't have any kitchen appliance Mm -hmm. except for one, I would choose this because of 
how many different things you can do with it. I think you can bake in it. Have you made rice in it? That's the one thing I have not Okay. in it. I have almost. Listen, you make the rice in it. You report back. That will push me over the edge. Okay. (laughs) That will be the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your go-to, though? Like, what's your usual meal in there? I, I want to say everything because I feel like it's opened up the doors of what I've been eating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, oh, can you make this in the Ninja? Can you make this in the Ninja? And everyone online is like, you can. Here's how you do it in 30 minutes or less. Like, I love it. Yeah. So, it's so fun. It is fun. It is I mean, fun. we have, I have an air fryer and I have a pressure cooker and I have a rice maker, but they're all separate. So right. if I could have one thing that does all of those things, I like the efficiency of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know about the rest. Yes. Let me know. What about you? Okay. I have a podcast to recommend, and this is one of those sort of serialized podcasts. Mm. Um, It's not true crime, but it's investigative journalism, and it is called Sent Away, and it is about the um, residential treatment centers in Utah that treat teenagers and how those have gone awry. Ah. Have you heard of this one? I haven't, but I was listening to one about a treatment center in California. That sounds similar. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> well, what's fascinating about treatment centers in Utah and what's different is that Utah has different rules. Mm. You know, states really govern the rules. And so in many states, you cannot involuntarily commit a teenager. Yeah. And you can't keep a teenager just because a parent wants you to. You know, you can't imprison, quote unquote, a teenager. Right. I mean, a teenager can be, you know, they can be checked into a, a mental hospital for a 5150, but a parent can't unilaterally decide I'm committing my child in most states. And a, and a, a child can leave at will in most mm-hmm. states. In Utah, you can have anybody pick up your kid for any reason. <laughs> And they can essentially kidnap your child, take them without their will, and then they can keep them behind locked doors. So Utah is a little bit of the Wild West. And then you add in, you know, so you add in a lack of rules. You add in there's also a massive lack of accountability from the government. And then you add in religiosity, and it's a hot mess. Mm -hmm. So this podcast just kind of follows those stories. And it's it's heartbreaking. And it actually, um, what's really interesting is who kind of blew the lid off of this is Paris Hilton. Oh, no way. Yeah, because she was sent away to a place in Utah. Interesting. And so she kind of became a voice for this. Wow. Um, and some of the abuses that she that she had. So they do talk about that in one of the episodes. But yeah, it's it's very sad. Um, but it is it feels like, you know, kind of an important thing to be talking about. Like, how are we treating at-risk kids? And what parameters are in place to make sure they're not abused after they've already had trauma? Totally. Yeah. Okay, so this is a question about what do I do if I feel like my husband isn't helping equally, especially with the mental load. I cannot tell you how many women in my practice are saying this. Same, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is a real problem. Why do you think, first of all, the why? I mean, we're going to get to the what, but like, why is this so pervasive? I mean, can we just say the patriarchy and call it good? <laughs> just answer for all men, Matthias. Why are you guys like this? <laughs> I mean, I 
I this think is that, like, not as much of a dynamic in same sex relationships. Oh, absolutely not. Be- because I think the 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 like the gender part of it feels significant, and I I think yeah. the ways that we are yeah. enculturated, like I'm not going to say it's all this, but I think in yeah. a lot of ways, like that expectation of here's what a man does, here's what a woman does, and like I think even when there's an active, I don't know this, but I imagine even in a hetero relationship where even there's an active sense of we're not going to fall into this pattern, it is still so ingrained in our culture that it's easy to fall into. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making shit up there, but. I don't think you are. I mean, I think that's really what it is. I think that, you know, we're still, we still have not acclimated to true feminism or equality. We have, we're not there yet. I think that there's a lot of things that are, and I'm using air quotes here, off men's radar conveniently, but you know, they didn't see their dads do it. They don't, they don't know how to do it. Um, But then I also think that, you know, women also can sometimes contribute to this because we just go, well, I'll just do it myself. We're deathly afraid of being considered an ag. You know, we've been socialized Mm -hmm. that if we, if we stand up for ourselves, that we're being an ag. And so we don't say anything. We kind of martyr ourselves. Um, but I think, I mean, to answer the what do I do, I really feel like marriages need to have a lot of business meetings where you put everything on the table and you are deciding who is doing what. And you have to do that until each of you are equally kind of sharing the mental load of that. And that's frustrating and exhausting. But I think it's kind of the only way that things get done. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? Right. I, I mean, I think that's so important to have that sense of here is everything that I am doing. <laughs> kind of having that conversation of, I don't even know if you're aware, but this is everything that I'm doing. Where might you be able to pick up some of the slack? But but I also think, like, is it possible to get out of there like like sometimes i will tell people like go take a walk (laughs) Mm -hmm. talk to your partner Mm -hmm. ask them to do a couple things and Mm -hmm. then like it's okay for you to like leave the house while they do them so that you don't fall into that pattern (laughs) of then taking over like the world's not gonna end yeah, and so like I mean that's it's like a forced in some ways a forced way of giving that responsibility, not just the conversation, but then how do you set up an environment of where it actually has to happen that way? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting too because I was thinking like how unfair it is that we would have to sit down and have these conversations, but then it strikes me like same sex couples are having to sit down and have these conversations. One hundred percent. And what is happening, I think, in hetero relationships is we're defaulting. Instead of having the conversation, we're yeah. sort of just defaulting to gender to gender roles instead of sitting down and having the conversation. Um, there is a it's it's a system. Have you heard of the fair play um, cards? Have you heard of these? No. So it's the system where they have come up with just every possible shit that needs to be done that could present itself in a relationship Mm. household tasks parenting tasks just they've thought of everything and you can buy these cards and then they have a whole system for how you sit down with your partner and you decide who takes what 
Wow. Yeah. And what I really like about it is it kind of externalizes it a little bit. So it's not one person trying to hold the other accountable. Yeah. It's a system. Like we're doing this system. Um, but I think, yeah, presenting it that way. I also think it's important for women to sometimes advocate for themselves because I think what will happen is there might be traditional roles around like one person is staying home with the kids while the other works, right? <laughs> Which is a fair you know, decision, regardless of the gender, you know, that works for some households. But then what happens is that holds over after the person who works comes home. Right. So you're, so this idea that I work and therefore you're in charge of the kids nights and weekends, that does not work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it only works when the other person is actually physically at work. Right. And then when that person comes home from work in downtime, those responsibilities have to be shared. So I think, unfortunately, women have to kind of advocate for that as well. Yeah, right. That they don't then become the default parent on Saturday and Sunday too. Mm -hmm. And then they never get any downtime where the person who works is off the clock, quote unquote. Yeah. That feels important. But yeah. Which is, yeah, which is why I love that, like can you leave the house? Yeah. (laughs) But sometimes you also do just want to stay at the house and relax. Like, so, I mean, that's not foolproof, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's not, but yes, I think that is, yeah, that is, um, (laughs) taking space is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to link up to these fair play cards. And I think if people are struggling with this, I think this is a really good way to introduce the conversation in a kind of neutral way. So let's talk about this Psychology Today article. Yes. Why feeling butterflies isn't a reliable predictor of true love. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this... I feel ahead. like I've just known this intuitively forever. Totally. Same. Right. I was going to say, like, this is something that I feel like a lot of, like, therapists all know. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that we talk about it a whole lot. It's like... <laughs> I know. And we also learn from experience, too, yes. in our in our lives. Yeah. So chat chat about that, Kristen. Well, yeah. I mean, what the article is basically saying is that that feeling of butterflies and we could call it, you know, we could call it initial attractive, love at first sight. We could call it lust. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that exhilaration, that feeling in your gut that has been kind of this cornerstone of movies and songs and the way that we feel that we are falling in love really doesn't mean that much in terms of predicting both long-term happiness, but even sexual compatibility, which is right. interesting. Yeah. So just because you get butterflies doesn't even mean that you're going to have a great time in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, it really doesn't mean much at all. But something that I find a little bit interesting that this that this article alluded to is that it it can actually be a predictor of your childhood stuff being triggered. Yes. So talk right. about that. Yeah, because that's the part that is like the most fascinating to me. Yes. (laughs) Is that oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes when we're feeling that butterfly or that sense, it it is a sign of familiarity with what we already know. It means our nervous system is interacting with another person in a way that feels safe. Yes. And that doesn't mean that it is actually safe. But safe in the context of the environment that we grew up within mm-hmm. of what our nervous system is regulated to. Yes. Um, and so when we feel that, it, it can 
often mean that we are with someone who are who reminds our bodies of mm-hmm. the people that we grew up with. So let me give an example of that. So we talked a couple weeks ago about personality disorders. Let's say that you grew up with a borderline parent mm-hmm. and they were very dramatic and they were a little bit manipulative. And as a child, as a result, you were constantly seeking approval from this parent. And when you got that approval, it felt very exhilarating and it felt very soothing. Now you go out into your adult world and when you get around someone who reminds you of your parent, now this isn't conscious, right? It's rarely ever conscious. You're not going like, oh, this person reminds me of my mom. In fact, you're probably, you would probably never admit that to yourself. Mm -hmm. But let's say that there's aspects of that. This person takes over a room. This person seeks attention, which you find initially to be charismatic. Mm -hmm. This person is a little bit edgy, a little bit volatile, and you get those butterflies. But what that feeling really is, is, oh, look, here's an opportunity for me to win approval from someone like my mom or dad. Yes. And that is really what's informing those feelings, as opposed to, you know, a, a more logical approach of, oh, here's a person who meets the criteria I'm looking for, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. so sometimes a lack of butterflies is more informative, if you, especially if you've had some trauma with your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I had a professor in grad school who would often say our selection of partners, our selection of who we end up marrying is far more of an unconscious limbic level, so nervous system level decision than it is conscious um, mm-hmm. for the majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and which is why, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, this is why I, I like say this to my kids all the time. Have a list of what you're looking for and go by the list. Yeah. Do not go by feelings. Right. Feelings are nothing. It's nothing. They will not yeah. last. Like right. go by criteria and values of what you're looking for. And I mean, for this reason, honestly, and this, you know, I know this is pragmatic and not very romantic, but I don't believe in love, love at first sight. Mm-hmm. I, I think it works out for some people. Totally. But I don't believe in it. I don't think it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. I think you can like have butterflies for the right person and get really lucky and we can call that love at first sight. But for most of us, that's not going to end well <laughs> at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and also lust. I mean, lust too. Lust is fleeting also. One, yeah. I mean, I think Esther Perel talks about this really brilliantly, but, you know, those are not feelings that last either, and we cannot expect them to. Right. Right. But there's a reason why, you know, most romantic stories are not about long-term relationships, Mm -hmm. because it's not exciting. Right. Yeah, it's it's not exciting. It's not the butterflies. It's Mm -mm. it's the the slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. because it's, I mean, it is, I don't know if we want to get into this, but it's different brain chemicals that, yes. that are, that are working out. Like absolutely in, in those initial stages of kind of butterflies, mm-hmm. lust, attraction, that is primarily, oddly, testosterone uh-huh. and dopamine, mm-hmm. regardless of gender or sex. Like, and those wear off pretty quickly. Yep. And it, the long-term 
chemicals that then kind of come in and build over time, mm-hmm. uh, oxytocin, vasopressin, like the, those are, they take a while to build, but they build in much less dramatic yeah. ways. Yeah. And that is the work of a long-term relationship. And I just feel like we don't talk about this enough. Right. Like people aren't really aren't educated on this. And so we're walking around with these really odd views of love and then giving up on what could be amazing relationships because we're not having that rush of testosterone or dopamine yep. anymore. Yes. Right. Which is a normal normal phase of a relationship to, you know, to decline. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my book. Yes, <laughs> I don't please. know that I've ever done that on here. I have two full chapters in my book about the dynamics of yes. how all of that works out. Um, if people are like, I've never heard this before. Like, I get into I wouldn't say deep into the science, but deeper than we have. You do. I <laughs> yeah. completely agree. And you should be plugging your book more on here. <laughs> like, really? Come on. But yes, we will. A hundred percent. Let's link up to that um, in the show notes, because I think that this is, if more people understood this, I think that we would have more satisfaction in our relationships. I really do. Yes, I agree. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up, we're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 